This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the play on the show. Mariners got a new best pitcher? Question mark. Mariners got a new best pitcher! Exclamation point. Logan Gilbert was absolutely awesome yesterday, wrapping up a series in which the Mariners take two or three from uh, an Angels team that they remain ahead of, which should be a surprise to everyone. The Angels were not supposed to be better than the, the Mariners, or the Mariners were not supposed to be better than the Angels this year, and yet they are. Logan Gilbert's intimidating up on that hill, too. What is he? 17 feet tall? He at least carries himself that way. And when you see, I think, Danny, not just his ability to, I think, belong as he's barely basically in the majors. What's it been now? We're talking like 10 starts or so. He has also found a way to get better as the game goes along, and I don't think every pitcher has that ability. He certainly has improved. He has hit the ground. I don't want to say it was at a full sprint or at a crawl, but he he was not. I thought he was going to be better from the start. I didn't think he was going to be this good over the course of his first year. He continues to improve, and yesterday with a signature performance, he has a career-high 10 strikeouts, and, well, here's one of them. The stretch and the pitch. Slider, swing, and a miss for strike three, and there is strikeout number eight, and Logan Gilbert has just tied his career-high in strikeouts. He had eight strikeouts in his last outing in seven scoreless innings back home against the New York Yankees, and he strikes out David Fletcher for the second time This afternoon, four strikeout number eight. What a performance by Logan Gilbert. Eight strikeouts, and there's only two down here in the bottom of the fifth inning. What a day for this kid. Struck out five over the first two innings. And David Fletcher, yeah, his 26-game hitting streak, done, finished. Sayonara, see ya. That guy guy is devastating. I'm I'm glad to not see him for a, a, a next few stretch of games. Randomly, the player I can't stand the most perhaps in all of baseball because of how good he is against the Seattle Mariners calm down dude who are you (laughs) intense I found out Danny in the middle of that series this guy's in the middle of a 26 game hitting streak and I was like okay well this makes it maybe explains it a little bit more why for whatever reason he's just a giant pain in the Mariners took us so it was nice to get that guy to sit down you exaggerated Logan Gilbert's height only slightly He's he's six seven, right? Yeah. And Aaron Goldsmith yesterday during the the broadcast making some really good points about where he actually releases the ball, how close he is. That he is two feet closer to home plate than than your average pitcher. That it makes a huge difference. I expected when he came because of that sort of odd angle, the lanky build, that guys were going to have a really hard time getting adjusted to him. And it's not that he was bad to start because he wasn't, but he wasn't overwhelming. He wasn't like he's looked these past two starts. And honestly, that should be encouraging for everyone because what what he's what's allowing him to thrive is not that guys aren't used to seeing him or they haven't had any. No, what's allowing him to thrive and become more effective is that He's someone who studies and the approach he takes, the confidence that he's gaining, that he's continuing to get better. This isn't something where, hey, he makes a big splash, then everyone adjusts and he comes back to earth. It's like he's got his feet under him now and he's absolutely thriving. The consistency has been taking place since the last start that he made in May, where 
he was able to go six innings for the first time. And in every outing since then, except for that weird game against the White Sox that only lasted two innings where he only was able to pitch two innings and they resumed it the next day, he has been able to go at least five innings in every single one of those. That is the mark of a consistent starter. And I think also, Danny, as far as context goes, it's a lot easier to appreciate the way that Gilbert's been pitching when you've seen the way that Yusei Kikuchi's pitched in his last two starts. He did not look very confident in that start against the New York Yankees on July 7th. And then you took a look at him on uh, Saturday. And I don't know what it was. He says that his, he hasn't been able to quite get the velocity that he wants to on the ball. Whatever it is, he just, to me, does not look to be as confident as he was going into that game against the Yankees. And I'll point specifically to that second at-bat that he had against Aaron Judge, where Aaron Judge, he threw four balls in a row to him. And I just remember seeing that, and I was like, wait a second, Yusei Kikuchi, I feel like, would challenge a guy like Aaron Judge, and it felt like he wanted to stay away from him. I don't know what led to his decision to approach the at-bat that way, but since then, in those last two starts, he has not looked like himself. I was concerned about that answer about his velocity. Yeah. Yusei's not the biggest dude. And and there's a part of me that has, has wondered about how he's going to be able, when he's had this uptick in velocity that happened a year ago, was he going to be able to sustain it? Last year, it's tough to draw any conclusions because it was an abbreviated season. Mm-hmm. And he said this, it may be fatigue getting into the summer months as well through translator. And that does make sense given what you just said. That's not great, man. No, that's it's not. not great. It's not great for the overall. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sound a, a, a worry alarm. Like everything's been really good about Kikuchi so far, and I'm not gonna freak out. You're halfway through the year. There are ups and downs in a season. It is something to keep in mind. Is the emerge that contract? The emerge, is that contract a sure thing still? The, the yeah, extension. it's got to be. Man. I, I feel if the same seri- way. If if you're serious about winning, how are you going to get a? Unless you're going to tell me that you're going to get a pitcher that's better than Kikuchi. For next year, you're probably that you, you're gonna you're gonna take that money and you're gonna use it to buy someone who's better than Kikuchi. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't pick up that option, I don't, I don't think you're serious about winning. Honestly, like I, 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 I think that that if you're if you're telling me that you're gonna contend and hey, seven games above five hundred right now, right? We're at a high water mark mm-hmm. here that you you might have an outside chance at making a playoff run this season. If you're serious about making the playoffs next year. I think you pick up that option without even thinking twice. About Same page. It. The emergence of Gilbert makes that the the rotation going forward a little because you have multiple candidates to be that front line guy. It's not just hey, Kikuchi's our best pitcher. Who are we going to get to be your number two or your number three? Like Kikuchi's a front of the rotation guy. Yes, Logan Gilbert's a front of the rotation guy. Right now, Chris Flexen is Language your third one. most consistent starter that's on there. You got Justin Dunn. You got Marco Gonzalez, who's going to have some pressure on him to pitch better this second half of the season. Yeah, and that's that starts tomorrow. That starts tomorrow in in Colorado. Well, he'll, he'll be pitching in his hometown for the first time as a Mariner. Go up against Armand Marquez, who I'd love to see in a Mariners Your uniform. Though I don't think it's going to happen. I I would love to see in a Mariners uniform, though. I I I I think the price is going to be too high for him. The emergence of Logan Gilbert means an awful lot to your team going forward because that is a guy that you're going to believe. Is he going to be a true ace? Is he going to be an all-star? He sure looks like it right now. He sure looks like it. And the trajectory, the trajectory that is just going up should be incredibly encouraging. Here's Scott Service, the skipper, talking about Gilbert. He, he allowed two runs yesterday. Both came after he left the game in the sixth inning, but again, setting a career high in strikeouts. 
it's crazy. I don't even look at Logan as a rookie anymore. You know, he gets 10 starts under his belt. He's just so composed and he's got such a good game plan when he walks out there uh, every inning, you know, trying to make a few adjustments. He, like I said, he lost the feel for the changeup. Uh, he got after the fastball and was able to, to get the ball by Walsh there for a strikeout. So uh, says a lot about his development, where he's at. Again, I thought Tom Murphy did an excellent job with it today. He's got so many things working for him right now. And, I mean, also just think about having four pitches when you're already up. And there's a couple where from time to time you see where and the slider I really like that he that he throws. You see that and you're like, okay, this is this has some sort of – this looks like the kind of pitch that we might be talking about in national discussions. If you're one of those seam heads who really appreciates a guy who's got some filthy junk, that's one of those pitches that gets you excited. Like, wow, he's got one that he is almost a master at already. And now it's a matter of all those other pitches. And if he can get some of those other pitches even close to the same level as that one, then yeah, watch out. It's been awesome to see what he's been able to do thus far. Really, I, I, I you were right, by the way. You were the one who thought that it would – we would probably see plus play from him the most quickly, and we have. That's for sure. It's been different than I expected, though. It's it's really come out differently than I expected. And I, I thought he would. I thought he would be more overwhelming at the start, and mostly that was just because of the was because of the the, the different the different angles that I thought he would be coming out, all of the different things that would, and instead it's taking him a little bit of time to really take off, but he is certainly doing that. And it's really encouraging for the Seattle Mariners. They take two of three in Anaheim. They're off today. They'll have a two game set in Colorado. Then they'll return home for four games against the A's three games against the Astros really big homestand. That's going to be coming up when, Hey, we should have a full house there at T-Mobile park. It's Danny Gallant. It's time to get to front page news. This, this is the front page today's top two stories and why they matter every morning at seven ten. get what you need to know to start your day right now. Well, we're getting closer and closer, Danny, to learning who the Seattle Kraken will be. Period. <laughs> we don't know quite yet, but so the the list comes out, right? That right. other teams, the protected lists, they 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 we know who's going to be available for the the Kraken in their expansion draft, which is next Wednesday. I would say most noteworthy, Danny. Montreal Canadiens goalie Carey Price, who a couple of years ago was considered the best goalie in hockey and then had an incredible run during the Stanley Cup Finals that helped the Canadiens get to the Finals where they ended up losing. He has not been protected by Montreal. So that's exciting. And we were wondering, hey, which of the local guys, which of the guys from Washington could potentially be available? Well, uh, Spokane native and Tampa Bay Lightning forward Tyler Johnson also unprotected. But basically, now we know what players the Kraken can select from the 30 picks that they will make. 31 picks that they will make across can the, the goal Carey Price, can he stand on his head? Isn't that what we say about goalies that go on a run in the playoffs? He was standing on his head, that's for sure. The, the tricky thing with him is that he's really expensive, and because he did not play very well the last two seasons before this, I mean, he's the next five years due $10.5 million every single year. Like That's a Do lot we- for the NHL. Isn't that the right kind of player for an expansion team to take, though? Because you don't really, you're not going to have other studs that you need to give money to, right? Because you haven't had time to develop and pay guys extensions. You're, are, are you going to be able to afford a better player 
than than Carey Price because most of those guys are locked up. And if there's somebody that's hey, there he's a bargain at ten million dollars a year. He's not going to be available. Like this seems like the best guy you could possibly get. And yeah, it might be a little overpriced, but where else are you going to spend the money? That's true. But he's thirty three. That's that's all I will say. And I don't know. And and, and more, you might You're be able to thirty two. Do you feel like you've reached your peak? Well, no, but I'm a, an Adonis on the flag football field, especially uh, when we're talking about Carey Price, though. More, maybe you can speak to this better than we can. Like, 33 years old, there, there is a drop-off at some point for goalies, right? And he's got five years left on his contract. That's a pretty hefty contract. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking. It's not the same as football. There's not. Guys can play well into, you know. But it's usually more position players that play into their 40s than it is goalies. Uh, I, he, he is a little expensive. But it would be, when you look at what the Golden Knights did, it is really, really important to have a good goalie to start out with. I, I would love to see him come here. I would too. There's one other guy also unprotected and I'm excited about it because I just love this guy. Uh, P.K. Subban uh, from the Nashville Predators defenseman. Uh, very, very fun player. So uh, maybe not the same guy he used to be, but a fun guy nonetheless. Also expensive. The Front Page. Well, it took to the fourth at bat. On Friday, Jared Kelnick's comeback to the major leagues took to his fourth at bat, but he singled. He broke the. He got off the Schneid, and then and then he had a two strike single that he ripped into into right center field. Uh, two strikes got up at a fastball, and and then he hit a ball 106 miles an hour yesterday. In between that, he showed some great hustle. Yeah, Jared Kelnick back, and I'm not. I don't want to say with a with authority, but it was a good weekend for him. He's back with a hitting streak, Danny. He's got a hit in three straight games. Ah, uh, that's not a streak. That is a hitting streak. That is definitively no, a hitting streak. 26 games by Darren Fletcher. That's a hitting streak. No, three it's not. Because it's over. three singles in three games is not a hitting streak. Yes, it is. You you need to take the we take the positive steps where we can get them. No, it's not. You don't say you've got a three-game win streak. You won three in a row. Two. But is, do you consider that he was 0 for 39 before this? Does that no? We're not grading on the curve. That's how we've gotten. That's how we've cheapened our status it's, it's, as a global no. superpower. <laughs> no, it's legitimately a hitting streak, though. If it was two games, it's back to back. Three is a streak. It's not a hitting. Streak. <laughs> yes, it you is. can't. You can't. <laughs> it has to be more than three games, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> not by my definitions, which are for Jared Kelnick, very understanding because he is our sweet boy. <laughs> he is. It's good to see him back. How about the eighth inning? It was on Saturday's game, the one game that they lost, and they were down, right? They were yeah. down pretty significantly. What, they're down 7-1 at mm-hmm. that point? And he's legging out a ground ball, and he ends up being safe because he he ran hard and, and, and a bobble. He had to love to see that. All the hustle people had to go nuts over that, right? I did. I loved it. I loved it. I know there's fake hustle and there's hustle, whatever. I like that hustle. And it was really funny also watching those last two innings at a uh, bar in Ballard because there's this one person who I guess may or may not have gambled on the Mariners. And even though it was like the game was pretty decided, it was 9-1 at one point, he was living and dying with every uh, strike and ball. There's, there's, there's nothing more enjoyable than watching so someone funny. going through excruciating pain over something that makes no difference to everyone else uh, at the bar. We ended up hanging out with him the rest of the night because we found him so funny. Did he win? Uh... He claimed that he had won earlier in the night. <laughs> I don't know. Loser. Yeah, I Take don't know. that L. <laughs> I don't know it's if Danny. I ever believe someone who says that. It's Danny and Gallant. That's front page news. Let's get in the car. Ride shotgun with the professor for our morning drive. 
John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny, Danny and Gallant. Professor, I saw an interesting piece up on uh, both you and Danny's favorite football website, Pro Football Talk. That's amazing. Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger are closing in on Brett Favre's all-time record for being sacked. So they both have 521 and 516 sacks, respectively. I I saw this, and I started thinking of Russell Wilson, and I was like, wait, how far off is he? Well, Wilson's 20th all-time in terms of times being sacked with 394 in just nine years. So he's only a little less than uh, 130, 140 off of both Brady and Favre. He's going to lap them when it comes to this record, right? I mean, he's going to be the all-time most sacked quarterback in NFL history. Yeah, if he plays to those ages, I mean, what, 37 for Roethlisberger, 43 for Brady, no question, because what since 2013, he's had more than 40 sacks in each of those years. And so if that's going to be the case, I mean, you can see where the model is. Now, again, this year you would think, we don't know, but you would think the sack numbers are going to come down because it's a it's a different offense. He's not going to hold the ball for 2.97 seconds like he did last year. He's going to get rid of the ball. And so and you look back at uh, both San Francisco and the Rams over the last four years, and there's only uh, one time in each team that one of the quarterbacks ended up having more than 40 sacks. So, yeah, but uh, ultimately, I mean, the number of sacks that he's had, particularly, I mean, nobody's had more sacks against him since 2013, uh, that uh, ultimately he'll catch up to them. John, from that same uh, locus of disinformation pro football talk, there's some discussion about whether (laughs) Kyle Shanahan was bummed that the the Rams picked up Matthew Stafford. We we know the 49ers ended up with their quarterback, Trey Lance. Do you... Do you think that the the Niners were one of the teams that were looking and, and courting and, and seeking Stafford in a trade? No, they talked. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. question about that because I know talking to John Lynch that you know they they looked at just about every angle as far as quarterbacks in this offseason just to see what they could get, but they thought the price was going to be uh, uh, too much and it just did, it just wasn't going to work and they weren't going to pay the price that the Rams were going to do. But no, there's no question that they looked at him, but ultimately you know they decided that uh, let's go a different direction and then they started looking. It's like you know we what we need as far as the 49ers is that long-term answer because uh-huh. that's what the big thing that John Lynch talked about is that uh, you know Jimmy Garoppolo uh, you know fit in but he wasn't the long-term answer anymore his contract is up I believe next year and so they wanted a long-term answer and that's why they you know eventually ended up you know working on that trade for Trey Lance but no there's no question that they were talking uh, about maybe getting Matthew Stafford the the long-term answer, which I think is a good way to look at it, that the 49ers opted for a long-term solution with Trey Lance. The one thing that's interesting about that is the 49ers have a defense that's built to win and capable of winning right now, mm-hmm. especially if Bosa comes back and is healthy. Yet, I I don't think anybody really expects... I don't expect Lance to play all that much this year. Is is their defense going to get expensive before they have a chance to really make a run with Lance? Of course. I mean, because when you put so much emphasis on drafting first-round offensive linemen, and that's mm-hmm. why I think that uh, you can see what's going to be a problem in Washington. You know, it has been a little bit of a problem in New Orleans and, of course, in San Francisco, is you can't keep them all. 
And so it's like, uh, you know, like Solomon Thomas, even though he blew out his ACL last year, he's no longer with the team, a former first round pick. I mean, you know, when you, you, if you're, you're, the way things go as far as contract extensions, I mean, keeping defensive linemen are some of the toughest things to do. It's almost like, you know, trying to keep a whole bunch of quarterbacks because, again, they're so expensive. You know, because, like, for example, you know, they, they uh, traded us a, a, a second round pick or whatever for uh, D Ford D Ford's been injured and you know this is probably going to be his last year there as a defensive end and so it's just hard to do when you have so many high priced and high invested uh, defensive linemen because again you just can't keep them all I mean you watched that last year because here's DeForest Buckner one of the top five interior defensive linemen in the league and to be able to keep Eric Armstead uh, who got 17 million dollars they had to trade away DeForest Buckner and it hurt their defense we know that jimmy garoppolo gets injured a lot so that's always going to potentially lead the way for um us to see trey lance on the field for san francisco maybe sooner rather than later but say he plays at an average above average level isn't he going to be able to start for the entirety of the 17 game slate assuming no injuries no I don't think so. I think they're playing because again, I know Kyle Shanahan said this at the end of the year. He believes in that Andy Reid plan. It's better to sit a rookie than play a rookie in his rookie season if he's going to be a high first round pick. And so uh, I think that uh, the plan is that they're going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo because say what you want, Trey Lance may be great in the future, may be great this year, but the idea is you don't know, and they know what they have in Jimmy Garoppolo. He's missed twenty three. Uh, he's had. What, uh, 23 misses of 48 games since coming to the 49ers in a trade from New England. But uh, th- their plan is to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, at some point, I mean, open like anything else, open competition in San Francisco, and the better man's going to win. But, no, I think the plan right now is to sit uh, Trey Lance and not play him this year. John, I'm going to ask Brock this a little bit later, but I'm, I'm looking for potential breakout performers. Between these two guys who are relatively high draft choices by the Seahawks, which has a better chance of breaking out this year? Rashad Penny or or Barton, the linebacker, Cody Barton, the linebacker that they drafted out of Utah. This will be his third year. Yeah, Cody Barton, because the, the, the thing is, I mean, you're comparing a guy who's expected to be a starter, and Cody Barton's going to be the starter at strong side linebacker, as opposed to a backup in Rashad Penny. I mean, you know, Penny, knee injury or whatever, is not going to beat out Chris Carson. So for uh, Penny to have a breakout year, I mean, it's just, I mean, as a backup, how can you do it? You're not going to be on the field as much. I mean, you're not going to get as many carries, you know, because Chris Carson, unless he's injured, is going to get the bulk of the carries. Professor, that's why we turn to you for those sort of hard-hitting answers. We'll look forward to catching up with you tomorrow. Okay, sounds good. That is John Clayton. You can hear him this afternoon with Wyman and Bob, and then uh, back with us tomorrow. You can also follow his updates, 710sports.com. Put yourself in Mitch Hanniger's shoes. First of all, they're really hot. He's on a tear, nine-game hitting streak. Second of all, you're gonna, you're gonna. Would you want to be looking around at other potential destinations? We'll explain next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We've been seeing a whole lot of two things for the Seattle Mariners of late. Borderline dominance starts by Logan Gilbert. And great play from Mitch Hanniger, who did this in the top of the seventh inning on Friday. Here's the 2-0 from Bundy. 
Swung on, blasted to center field. This is crushed. Back on it, Lagares looking up. It's off the rocks and gone. Mitch Hanniger, <laughs> a two-run blast to center field, and the Mariners extend the lead. Two more on the board. It is six to one. M's. Heck yeah, Gary. That's a call. It's on the rocks. Mitch Hanniger, three runs on the rocks. I like it. Five for 11, two home runs, a double, six runs batted in, and seven runs scored this weekend. Does that mean a solo home run is served neat? That's that's just a solo shot, neat. Wow, you're just going to keep going with this, huh? Yeah, I love the call. <laughs> it was a fantastic call. His OPS and average, Danny, over the last 12 days have surged from 252 to 266, batting average 780 to 831. I mean... That's 12 days, and it's a nine-game hitting streak that he's in the midst of. As we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, his value is surging. And you're in a difficult spot, I think, with Mitch because you don't 100% know what he wants to do next. And that is an important factor as far as free agency, which is around the corner for him. Jerry DePoto was asked about a possible Mitch Hanniger extension, and this is what he had to say. We're always open to thoughts like that with Mitch or other players. It's uh, it's something we've used as uh, in the past, whether it be with Marco, uh, whether it be with guys like Evan White. It's something that we have been aggressive with, even with some players who are no longer here. You know, we did an extension with Gene Segura. Uh, we're open to doing things like that. It's, and that has to be a marriage on both sides. So the, while I can say that that's something that we as a club consider for anybody, it, it's, a, it's a matter of the fit. The, the length and the cost is it's always what it's about for both sides. And, and we'll be open to considering that. And I'm sure Mitch will too. When I heard that answer, my initial reaction was, I think Mitch is getting traded. That, 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 that's what I heard there. And honestly, the fact that it has to be a marriage on both sides in my head, I went, well, they'd love to have him. The prices is, is going to be too high or Mitch might not be interested in extension. He's, he's got a year left after this one. And he might be close enough that he's like, I want to, I want to see this thing through to free agency, and that 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 can be a recipe toward getting the most. Money. He he might be at that at that spot. I no longer think he's going to get traded, but I don't think they're going to extend him either. If you are playing at this level, would you want to sign an extension with the idea that maybe after a year like this, where you play the full year, you could potentially do even better than he's done this season? I mean, he's yes. top 10 in home runs right now, too. Yeah, he's a great all-around player, right? Like, yeah. there's nobody, there's nothing he doesn't do well. Like, he hits for tremendous power. His average is, he's not a guy who hits 210 with 40 home runs. He's a guy who hits 270 and is, is going to get past 40 home runs. He's a great defensive outfielder. He had a great catch. That, that catch he made in foul territory over the weekend was phenomenally difficult. For him, he's been injured enough that that's got it. That's got to play a part right yep that that's got to play a part that you that uh, an extension for a player is a hedge against injury but yeah man it's probably pretty tempting to think he's like i'll be 32 i don't have that many miles because in part i've missed some time because of injuries that maybe maybe this is worth seeing too to free agency i i could see if i was him not not wanting to settle for or feeling that i might be settling for an extension if i if i took a deal now He's an $100 million player, right? Yes, I think so. I Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think so. And, I mean, I'd think about it. I sure would. But then I just look at contracts that are given out. And I, I think 
a comparison. I, I think George Springer is a much better player than Mitch Haniger. Nothing against Mitch Haniger. And yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, George Springer, thirty-one. Uh, that that which. Oh, that's true. That well, I identify. Me. I have to look I that up. Him, I identify him as being a younger player. Legitimately, just looked that up because I wasn't sure myself. And but yeah, he's a year older than Mitch Haniger as things go. But he got the six-year, one hundred and fifty million dollar deal from the Toronto Blue Jays. So you have to imagine that there's going to be some team that's willing to pay him that kind of money. And if you're Mitch, yeah, why would you want to come back unless the Mariners are going to give you that? And if you're the Mariners. Do you want to give him that? And, and the, the thing that they have in their favor is they don't really have anybody on the books that's like that because Kyle Seeger's contract is going to be off the books after this season. Okay, let's let's say they're not going to extend him. And whether that's because Mitch's price is too high right now or Mitch flat out says, hey, I'm going to free agency. I'm You're, you're going to have to blow me. To keep me from going to free agency, you're going to have to buy me out of that. And the Mariners are like, yeah, we're not in position. There's not going to be an extension. What do you do with him? Is his value ever going to be higher than it is right now? Probably not, because whoever you're trading him to is going to get this and a year. He's not a straight-up rental. Right. You get one more year of cost control. I don't want to trade him. And I would actually, I'm going to be bummed if if they do deal him. He's a good player, you're a good team, and even if he eventually leaves and you don't get anything for him, quote-unquote, I don't. I don't want to see them trade him because I. I think he's more valuable to you in your lineup than than whatever prospect you're going to get in exchange for him. Exactly, and it's it's prospects. I mean, I would love the idea of a trade package for your guy Herman Marquez that would involve Hanniger, but, but there's no way that the Rockies would want to take that on. They want to have younger players that with. If potential. they're getting rid of Herman Marquez, it's because they don't want to win. And Mitch yeah. Hanniger is not the type of player that you want to acquire if they, if you don't want to win. So you're He's, trading him to a contender, and you're getting young players who haven't made it to the majors yet. Which, I mean, you can get enough of the. I just feel that the, that time has passed for the Mariners. I, I, I feel that if you're going to get, if you're going to trade a guy like that, that you either need to be getting such a top-shelf prospect that it's making you feel like this is someone that's on level, maybe not a Kelnick or a Rodriguez, but someone who is a top 50 yeah. major league prospect. I, I don't think anyone's going to give that up for, for Mitch Hanniger right now. And even if – man, you're a good team, and he's your best player. And even if even if you can't get to a point, there is always the chance that you could resign him once once it comes to the contract. But do you want to roll the dice on that? And, and I mean that's the that's the tricky thing here because you would you would have to give this kind of a contract, which is a hundred million plus, I would imagine. And on top of that, I mean he has to want to come back. And I I do wonder just him having been here for a bit and what took place this off season and probably a little bit more familiarity with the front office and, and, and some misgivings about it, just given the Kevin Mather comments this off season, which I imagine are in the back of some people's minds that he might be mad. Not you necessarily know mad I'm, as much as, as he's wary of the situation and perhaps not necessarily sold that they are going to continue to go in the direction that we see them going in right now. If that makes sense. If you concede, if you concede that, okay, he doesn't want to be here or someone else is going to give him more money than us. Isn't that basically saying, okay, we are the Kansas City Royals? Like, we are yeah. the Pittsburgh Pirates? Yeah, it is. It's, and that's, Seattle is not. That's they're not any of those teams. Is, yep. They're, they're not. So, yeah, maybe he won't take an extension right now. And there is some risk that he could just walk away. But there's a lot of other things that could happen between now and then that I'm not willing to give him up just because I'm worried that I can't resign him. I'm not willing to, to give him up for a promise to get paid next Thursday by some prospect that may or may not pan out. It's the Mariners are a good team right now. 
Mitch Haniger is their best all-around player, in my opinion. I'm not giving him up. I don't want to give him up either. I just know that this is this is the most you're ever going to get for him right now, and and that's a decision that Jerry Depoto is going to have to make, and it's probably the most important decision that Jerry Depoto can make the rest of the season for this. No, team. it's going to get in Herman Marquez. Well, yeah, but you got to actually have who? Who do you think they would put together in a package for that? Let's just well, let's go with Marquez anybody for a that's not if it's if it's if it doesn't include one of these three names, then I'm 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 very interested. If it doesn't include Rodriguez, Kelnick, or Noelve Marte, you have my full and undivided attention. And Kelnick's out of that conversation now, right? Now that he's should back be. up in the midst of Rodriguez a three game hitting too. streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Rodriguez. It's not a streak. It's a three streak, games bro. is not a streak. We are going streaking with Jared Kelnick, Daddy Galat. He's Daddy O'Neill and Paul Galat, seven ten, ESPN Seattle. The response to the news of Richard Sherman's arrest last week locally has been surprising. We'll explain why next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Seattle has been more understanding than I expected of Richard Sherman. And that this isn't a criticism. It's really not. It's an observation. It's very – I expected there to be a lot of hostility trained toward him and also a little bit of what I hate, which is the after the fact. See, the Seahawks knew something wasn't right, which is why they didn't sign him. When I'm like, okay, that's, that's – let's get, let's, get, let's get beyond all of that because things happen in, in people's lives that you can't – holding a team accountable – or crediting them for foreseeing somebody's bad behavior off the field. I've always thought that that's there's a limit that an employer has about how responsible they are for that. But I think people have been generally fairly supportive of of Richard Sherman. And again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's been a lot of compassion for the difficulty he's experiencing. Some of this is because no one was injured, physically injured. No one was maimed by anything, any of the the decisions that he made, even though it was incredibly dangerous. I think part of it is because his wife spoke up fairly quickly and had a statement that she released to the Seattle Times expressing support for him. So feeling that, hey, she is the one who is most immediately traumatized by this. And if she's just wishing the best for him, what grounds do I have as a fan to really feel any any sort of anger toward him? But I, I've been interested in that because I contrast it with the way people have felt about Earl Thomas, who Earl, in the, the incident where he was, I mean, I don't want to say he was completely innocent because he was sleeping or in in a tryst with another lady, mm. but he was, it was his wife that was arrested. It wasn't Earl. Earl was the victim in, in that in that scenario in terms of the, the police report, yet I feel there was far more compassion exhibited Toward, toward Richard, and I found that interesting. Well, Sherman's more likable, isn't he? I mean, I think I think that's a that's an easy one. Uh, now, I'm not just talking about the the Earl Thomas flicking people off, you know, going off the field thing, because Richard Sherman definitely did not make any friends on his way out of town, on his way out the door. He but, was kind of tortured. He signed with the rival and said that, hey, that's part of my personality. I want to rub your nose in it. But there's always been, I think, this idea that Earl Thomas is his own guy and doesn't really stick up for anybody else. And while Richard Sherman's very opinionated and expressive and stuff. I, I think that we look at them in two totally different ways. And I, I, I think with Sherman, too, I even though Earl Thomas maybe was the better overall player, there's a part of me that looks at Richard Sherman, and I just think about him first when I think about those Legion of Boom teams, too. 
Richard resonates with this city in a different way than almost any other athlete that I've covered. Like there's a, I think people understand him and, or believe that they understand him, that part of what made him so great is how high strung he is and that there is a level of volatility to it and an understanding that sometimes that is going to go over the edge or, and it doesn't excuse that when it's happened, but it's not like, I would agree that I think people felt that Earl was kind of his own person. Like Earl's kind of on his own planet. Like it's planet Earl and you never really know what was happening. So when that story came out, I think everybody was like, God, that sounds awful. I'm glad he wasn't really injured, but that sounds like a horrible situation that he's ended up in part making for himself. Because like I said, he wasn't, he was the victim in a criminal sense in being threatened but it's hard to think that he was blameless in that whole situation and things that have happened subsequently make you fearful of that. I, I, again, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I've, I've been, I, was, I was struck by how, how compassionate and supportive. And maybe it's impressive that Seattle was. How did you – I mean you weren't here when, when Richard played, but you've gotten a sense of what he means to this and he still lives here. What was your impression? I figured there'd be a little bit more of a mixed reaction to it, especially once we got the video of him trying to break into the home. I'm also surprised that there's maybe not more backlash to the, at least to this point, punishment that we have seen thus far. I mean, he really feels like he's getting off very easy, considering all the things that could have happened. You know, and no one got hurt. It's important to acknowledge that. But while I know he's done a lot for the city, not just on the football field, but off the field too, more importantly off the field, the special treatment that it feels like he's getting where there's no bail, everything, the felonies are getting dropped down to misdemeanors, not exclusive to any rich or powerful person in the United States of America. If you have money, you've got a big edge in the court of law. But I mean, he puts out an apology statement and yet at the same time is pleading not guilty to those misdemeanors as well. So that's the one thing that I found surprising, that there wasn't more, wow, man, he really got off easy on this one because he did get off really easy on this one. We'll see how it how it plays out. That's kind of how our criminal justice system works, though. And it's not even yep, just the right. It's not even just about wealth I, or, or about fame. I, I, I think part of it is that nobody was physically injured, that our – our consequences in the criminal justice system tend to be it's more about result than process, right? It's not about, hey, you made this decision that's super risky. It was, did you hurt anybody who mm-hmm. was injured by your actions? Exactly. And in this case, it's fortunate for, for Richard that, that there wasn't like from a, a you could have killed someone in that DUI accident. I mean, shoot, there, there was an active construction site. So, I mean, we're, not that's... only that, but you saw him pounding on the door and yeah. wondering what would have happened if he broke through the door. Like that was there. There were there were a series of really bad decisions that, that could have had disastrous consequences. That, given the decision that Richard made, this was about as harmless a situation as as it could have possibly unfolded. I do think it's worth reading Richard's apology. Yes, um, because I I I thought. We spend a lot of time, or at least I do, scrutinizing statements, public statements that are made. I, I think everybody could learn from Richard. Richard has something he could teach a lot of multi-billion-dollar corporations without it, what he wrote. I am deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner I am not proud of. I've been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but that is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real, and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all of the people who have reached out and supported me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. 
I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support system to lean on during this time. That's the end of the statement. I came up with it. I don't think I have any follow-up questions Ch- for that. Checks all the boxes. And uh, I, I think, too, where he says, look, I'm going through some things. That doesn't excuse anything that I did. And that's important. And honestly, that's one of the things that does bother me a lot when we talk about matters of mental health is that sometimes things are just supposed to be accepted because mental health. And I, I do think we've gone a little bit far in that direction. Not that I am dismissing the idea of the importance of mental health. But, I mean, remember when we talked about it a little bit ago with Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, that there, there's a certain point where you hear it and you're like, okay, I, I feel like you're just using this as a card to perhaps remove scrutiny from yourself. He did acknowledge that he is dealing with some stuff, but also said, yeah, that's, that's not a cause, a reasonable cause, a, a defensible cause for what took place. And I, so, that's important because a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people will hold up that shield and, and hope that it helps them. And honestly, it does in 2021. He said it's not acceptable, right? Yeah. I, I, be, I behaved in a way that I regret. And I, I found myself after I read it, I was like, I, I truly hope. And, and my deepest number one hope is that no one around him has to deal with anything like that again in the future. And my second hope for him is that he finds happiness, fulfillment, peace, and never puts people around him, never puts himself in that position again. It is Danny and Gallant. It's a Monday. That means we've got Brock here joining us. He's on board for Blue 42. That's coming up next.